you have a nice week off? Yeah, I did. I did. Good, good, good. Yep. Haven't, haven't heard last week's episode, but I assume that uh, Chance was okay. Yeah, he was fine. He was fine. He uh, didn't didn't say any uh, snide remarks about you at all. Well, that makes you want to listen now. <laughs> <laughs> he does a lot of podcasting. He he, he does the, the daily podcast as well. He does. He does. He stole it from my bare hands. And then he put ads on it. Mine were always ad free, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> and also free to. Do. <laughs> that's why. That's why I didn't keep doing it because you know, a lot of time. Uh, since last week, uh, well, since two weeks ago for me. By the way, did anybody catch two weeks ago? I said May I'll be back next week. That was pretty clever. I thought for the end of the episode. Yes, you did. Yeah, I I heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you were very clever. Yeah, nobody asked me if I was you know gone for good, but hmm. <laughs> people just know I won't leave. Uh, I saw the studio display a couple of days ago. That's the Apple monitor. Let me hear. Nobody. I've never heard of it before. Heard. No, it's 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 an Apple monitor. Uh, it looks good. It's not a Best Buy. That's the closest place that had it on display. I was picking up something else, and they had it on display. Um, looks good. Um, I normally like when I see a display. You know, I don't do much with it, but I was like, eh, open up iTunes or music and play some music. Um. This, Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I did forget to open the camera, which is the you know the big story that people care about with the display, I guess. But um, <laughs> don't really care. The problem with the display is everything else of it is like pretty standard. Yeah. You know? like the, people know what the panel is. It's basically the iMac panel, slightly brighter, but basically the iMac panel. Uh, and then the camera is the big disappointment at the moment because you know what? the quality of it is pretty rough. Yeah. You know what though? It's it's better than an iMac because the iMac has the chin and this has no chin. Did you see the um, teardown that came out from iFixit the other day? Yes, the one where you, they, you can't tell if it's an iMac or a display. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they compared, like, the they took the backs off an iMac uh, M1 and the studio display, and they, you know, they, they're like Gambit was, guess which one's the computer, and the idea is they both look the same. Or, in a way, the one that is the computer looks emptier, in a sense. Like, for whatever reason, the studio display internals look busier, as if that's got all the computer stuff in it, but it's... It, it doesn't, right? But I mean, in a way, it does because it does have a it does have an Apple Silicon core with the A13 chip, and it does have speakers and storage and RAM and, and stuff. But it's not actually a computer. The, the 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 thing about the studio display when you take off the back like that is that the big difference is the studio display has a power supply in the display, sure. which is why it is so much busier. Why it has an internal fan because it has to cool the power supply. And why the actual display is like twice as thick as an iMac is, because the iMac shuttled all that off to an external power supply, uh, with which also has the Ethernet jack in it. But the studio display, Apple was like, no, we're just going to put this, the power. It would be pretty wild in. if they were out of, out of the display. I think. I mean, because it's bigger and thicker. Yeah. Uh, is, would you like it, it, i don't know it's if, not if really the external power supply is a big problem like I, i'd almost prefer it that way and then have a nice sleek display you know what i mean i don't know i, I looked at it side by side with the imac 24 inch which i you know had for several months and um the not because of the colors the colors are cool but the imac looks like a toy compared to the city display to me it's, i mean, I mean yeah. you know white white or off-white bezels um you know big chin which we've you know you know chin's fine we wanted it to go away for years didn't go away <laughs> and uh i think this studio display though shows that they could have done that design chinless yeah, they and totally it could. would have been thicker but it could have had the entire computer inside of yeah it. it totally could have it would have been a little bit thicker mm-hmm. you know uh it, it's 
you know, it's it's not even twice as thick. Like it's almost twice as thick. But even I think twice as thick is like eleven to nineteen millimeters. Like it's really nothing. Um, but I, you know, I was happy to see it. I because you know I, I've wanted this display. It exists now. Uh, I want to buy one eventually. And um, yeah, I wasn't disappointed. So back on the camera thing for a second. Sure, it is now what two weeks a week since they've come out. Yep. Still no update. Had a macOS update today that had external display bug fixes, but not this display, not the webcam. Yeah, because there was issues in the latest macOS release about other external displays not working all of a sudden with people's laptops, which I think was just an unfortunate coincidence with the shoe display releasing rather than Apple trying to force people to buy it. But uh, the issue of the soft, which Apple has said there's a software issue relating to the camera in the shoe display and the like... I don't know, industry rumor is that Apple's internal prototypes and test and test units and like the stuff the marketing team were using while they were singing the praises of the studio displays camera to everybody else uh, didn't have this issue and somehow it got into like the production models only. If that's the case, though, surely it wouldn't take them very long to fix the the deployment problem and have the same firmware running on the production models as the prototype models like. That that be the the intuition for me at least is that if that was the only issue, it would be a relatively simple thing to fix, and I probably would have expected that fix to come out by now. So, I kind of the the more days go by, the less I believe that kind of rumor, and the more I think, well, they're just scrambling behind the scenes to try and get it up more up to spec. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. I bet it's low priority too. You know, uh huh. Mm-hmm. Like like these, they they haven't got anything else to worry about. Like. Mac OS 17, iOS 16, all this other, you know. Well, like. those aren't coming. That's 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 your imagination thinking of those things. But uh, <laughs> I mean, like, like like even like the point one updates that came out today, like those are probably priority over whatever the display's doing. But uh, iOS 15.5 probably is mm-hmm. priority yeah. over the studio display. Yeah, yeah. that classic music it's, app is going to be priority. That the Apple Music Classical, yeah, which probably comes in 15.5 to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's actually been kind of weird. We haven't been in a, in a beta-free land for a, a while, and 15 minutes before came out, and there wasn't a beta the very next day. Like, it's, that's right. I've just been. I, I can't remember. Like, we were on betas for the entire iOS 15 cycle, so at least all the way through last June, and I'm pretty sure before June we were in betas all the way through the first half of 2021 as well. So this has been the only reprieve we've had in like two years of software betas. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Reprieve in, in a way that we don't actually prefer. Um, did you did you read my story on the on the display? I wrote a thing, you know, uh, something Steve Jobs could have said about this whole Apple display situation. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. I, you want to summarize it? Yeah, I mean, you can go and read it. I had fun writing it. You know, it's a little bit pithy. Um, basically, basically, it comes back to the quote he did at the um, D8 conference, where the context of the time was he was talking about the iPad and Adobe Flash. Yeah, and Walt Mossberg and Kara Swisher were like. I mean, this was the st- <laughs> this was the story of the time, which is like hilarious because it's more than a decade on, and people are like, "What the heck are you talking about?" It's like there was a huge controversy that the iPad did not support Flash content. BlackBerry, BlackBerry did a tablet that was like the the marketing feature was supports Flash. You know? Yes, but even I believe at the time of the D eight conference when Jobs does the quote, none Flash hadn't shipped on anything, so like it it wasn't even like a thing on a competitor's device at the time but everybody was complaining that the ipad didn't have it but android and blackberry had yeah yeah, compared to the mac exactly but in terms of like mobile tablets android i think there was some pc tablets that had it because obviously it runs a pc but who wanted one of them but like in terms of like the ipad like tablets uh rim which became blackberry 
and Android had promised Flash support, but it hadn't actually shipped. And this and the the, the D8 conference would have been like May time because it was always like the month before WWCC. And Flash on a mobile device, so like Flash and Android didn't ship until like September. So, it, you know, the, the iPad launched. There was a huge controversy that Apple was screwing over Adobe or they, the iPad was going to be a useless product because it didn't support Flash content, uh, even though no other tablet of similar caliber also supported that functionality. And Apple was going behind the standards, HTML5 and stuff. Anyway, so the D8 conference, it, Jobs gets pushed on this on this topic. And he basically says, like, a product is a package of things. And some things in a product are prioritized, some things are deprioritized, some things aren't included at all. And it is our job to make those decisions. And customers, they basically vote with their wallets on whether they're going to buy it or not. And if we make the right decisions, they'll buy them. And if we don't, they won't. And he's basically saying, look, if we made the wrong decisions, eventually we'd have to change our mind and add Flash in, for instance. Yeah. Um, but obviously, time shows that Apple was obviously clearly in the right on on that subject. Yeah, research rumors, research in motion, and the BlackBerry tablet. Uh, it was called the Playbook, and it came out on April nineteenth, one year after the iPad. Um, th- th- yeah, I mean, this, the reason I I pulled this quote was I was just thinking about you know the whole the whole sentiment of that of like you know we make products if if people you know that we think will be great if they're like people pay us a lot of money to do that if they're not great the market will will you know let us know and we'll make a different product. Like we're we're a company. If the product doesn't sell, we'll change it. You know, um, and I love that idea because it's like mainly about people talking about you know like like the reviews, like you know about why isn't this thing mini LED? Why? <laughs> and and I, I tried to frame it like if I were talking to like um you know my four year old, like years ago Apple made a display. It was premium. And then then they didn't make a display for many years. Um, pros were upset, so Apple made an ultra premium display. Most pros wanted just a regular premium display, not an ultra premium display. Um, you know, and then I go through all the lists of things where people were upset about it. Um, you know, even things that I think I really haven't heard mentioned, like um, I, I've heard people say, who wants center stage on a 27 inch display anyway? That it, it's good iPad feature. Why would anybody want it on the Mac? But I'm positive that the same people were like, why isn't 20, why doesn't the 24 inch iMac have center stage? It's on the three, yeah. it's on the $329 iPad. You know, why can't it be on the thousand plus dollar iMac? You know, um, I'd, I'd take it on my laptop, yeah, my, my big notch laptop that doesn't have it. Yep, and, and you know, the question kind of drives me crazy because it's like, well, big display can see it from further away, um, so you might actually like move around. It's like a, it's a really nice display for a video call because you can full screen the call, see the other person very large, and because of the person's full screen on a twenty seven inch screen instead of like a ten inch screen. You can get further back, you know, cook, do all your things, and and you're not tiny, you're large. Um, so that just kind of <laughs> like even if the display was like terrible, I feel like um, center stage on the Mac has been something we've been asking for, and this is it, you know. So especially for like the iMac or the you know the Apple Studio display is an iMac without the computer in it. Like they go in family rooms, they go in computer rooms, and people come. You know, more than one person often is looking at the screen, especially if you're doing like a video chat or something. You know, I'm talking, some of my family come in the room. Oh, the, the camera can be a bit wider, a bit of a wider aperture to, to fit more people in at once. Like, obviously, center stage is useful. Yeah. And, and, I, and I do concede, like, clearly, execution on this display has not been well. Um, but yeah, something else about center stage, like, unrelated to the display, is, um, you know, my, my four year old, as I mentioned, uh, has an iPad with center stage. And it is so good for that 
not not just um you know somebody comes in and joins you and so like it, it pans out or you move around and the iPad's in a fixed location. Um, but my four year old has no idea how to hold the iPad in a way that like shows his face. It's it's always him seeing another person. And and I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are like that. You know, they, they just hold the iPad and there's no like good way to hold it where you're, you know, not looking at it from the side. But with center stage, it just no matter how he holds it, his face is like full frame. So that's nice. Um, but yeah, the, the display, uh, maybe, maybe we can get the, I, I think what we should do is put it in the audio clip on that, uh, from Steve Jobs saying it because like his tone and everything is just, it's, it, I love it. Well, you know, well, I'd say two things. Number one, things are packages of, of emphasis. Some things are emphasized in a product. Some things are not done as well in a product. Some things are chosen not to be done at all in a product. And so different people make different choices. And, uh, if the market tells us we're making the wrong choices, we listen to the market. We're just, we're just people running this company. We're trying to make great products for people. And so we're, we have the, at least the courage of our convictions to say, we don't think this is part of what makes a great product. We're going to leave it out. That's what a lot of customers pay us to do, is to try to make the best products we can. And if we succeed, they'll buy them. And if we don't, they won't. And it'll all work itself out. That's one of my favorite things. Um, Even though it's just about Flash, you can take that, you know, and say about any product that you're like, why does this exist? This is a bad product. Okay, maybe it is. If it is, the market market will reject it. Apple gets it wrong, right? Like, it's not, that, that quote is not trying to say that Apple always makes the right choices. What it's saying is that a company's motivation to exist is to make choices not just to try and bung everything in that you can and do it mediocrely the idea is to pick things and prioritize and make it great and if the choices if the bucket of choices is wrong the company will get the message and change for instance the home pod as much as i loved it as much as you loved it you know we admitted it was too expensive and it clearly prioritized things that the market in general didn't want and it was out of touch in several ways and look what happened they stopped selling it and they made a homepod mini instead so like <laughs> like apple is not is not a isolated being they do respond and in many ways the apple studio display that we have now is a response to them having nothing before like their choice before was to not offer a display and they clearly saw enough demand to get back into the market and do it so like this is their offering i think it's fine like i, I think people have vastly overblown how quote bad it is um and but we will see if it really is bad it will get changed or it will get discontinued so have at it it's bad it's also overpriced it's premium it, 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 like my reaction to it was just what you know walking up to it I was like this is a premium display it looks good nice um and and you know steve jobs was a smart guy you know just ended on that <laughs> have you have you bought one yet this the display uh no but i have sort of like adjusted my 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 like which one i want from being the version with nano texture which is what 400 dollars 300 dollars 300 yeah yeah and and i was gonna go with the visa arm but you know i just kind of decided i'm fine with the standard version and you know i i do agree that it's pricey like more than i'd want to spend on it and so with that in Mm -hmm. mind i'm going to look for either a sale or an open box deal (laughs) yeah so um already you know, my Best Buy has has inventory where it's like eighty dollars off for somebody who just returned it because they probably hated their webcam or something. I don't know, but yeah, um, yeah. So I plan on plan on maybe in the next few weeks picking one up finally. 
And um, cool, cool. Yeah. Cool. Our, you know, Maybe by then they'll have released the software update. Yeah. Our, our colleague Chance Miller, he really wants me to get a MacBook Pro, you know, the, the notch book. And for me, it's like I, I kind of wanted one when they first came out, but it doesn't change how I work compared to my MacBook Air. But this monitor will. And um, my external display right now is a 21 and a half inch LG with pink, um, a pink border because it's not great, <laughs> like a defect. So it'll be a big upgrade for me. Wait for the map, the new MacBook Air. You don't need a MacBook Pro, really. No, yeah, that's what will tempt me is when there's like that that cool new iPad Air blue color on a MacBook yep. Air, and like you know, I don't I don't know what the SD card rumors are, but I I want that. I don't think you get an SD card. Sorry. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> First off, this week Happy Hour is brought to you by Mac Stadium. Mac Stadium is dedicated to entirely providing Mac cloud services, and it is built on genuine Apple Mac hardware. It offers a variety of private cloud options running macOS on macOS hardware. This isn't virtualization. You can have actual Mac hardware running your Mac software in the cloud with a ton of applications for iOS and Mac development, remote servers and other workloads requiring macOS. It's easy to see why Mac Stadium is so widely known in this space and why they continue to be the front runner in the market. It also offers cloud hosted Mac desktops useful for development, creative or IT use cases. And for those ready to move from Intel to Apple Silicon, Mac Stadium has got you covered. They have a full selection of M1 machines operational in the United States and their European data centers. And Mac Stadium has already ordered the Mac Studio en masse in multiple configurations to get Apple's latest Apple Silicon hardware available for Mac Cloud users as soon as possible. You can also virtualize macOS on M1, Intel, or in a mixed cluster of both using Mac Stadium's orca 2.0 platform so head over to mac stadium to learn more the link is in the show notes discover their full array of cloud services mac virtualization and mac stadiums orca 2 thanks to mac stadium for sponsoring the show mac studio mac stadium that's pretty cool uh you see this week that the uh the app store policy that is affecting our favorite topic of the dutch dating dating apps uh dating apps in the netherlands has has reached some sort of a conclusion maybe uh yes like, like three days ago they were fine for the ten- apple was fine for the 10th time for not complying with um you know what dutch regulatory uh authorities want want to do to protect consumers um the fine reached the equivalent of 55 million us dollars you know after, after 10 fines that's where we are and then uh <laughs> two days after that and i think there was like still like some some confusion around like you know is Apple going to actually comply in a way that, that satisfies this 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 watchdog or not? Um, and then two days later, yesterday, Apple published some updates around their proposal, in, including a pretty simple fix to something that you highlighted as a problem, which was the requirement of having two app binaries one one for the one for Dutch dating apps and then one one for everywhere else, I guess. And, and now they're like, you know what? You can actually make one app. For everywhere we can handle it i actually got some feedback about this after the show from people who are like the the multiple app binary thing it's it's not a big deal because all these companies have to produce multiple binaries for different countries anyway and i agree i get what this i get what people are saying when they say that but it, it also just was something that was completely unnecessary and it was only there in my opinion to cause more admin headaches for the people trying to use the external purchase link stuff and it didn't really have any truth in making it a technical like it wasn't a technical problem it was just apple being annoying and that has now been proven by the fact that they've dropped that requirement uh, in a 
Developer news update, Apple said it's eliminating the requirement that developers are dating apps in the Netherlands who choose to use the entitlements must create and use a separate binary. Developers may include either entitlement in their existing dating app, but must still just limit the use of the entitlements features to the app in the Netherlands storefront on devices running iOS or iPadOS. So rather than having to have two separate binaries that have to be constantly maintained and updated, now all of the logic and the you know the the management and the updates and a big thing is app store reviews because if you do two separate binaries it means all your reviews are separated as well so if you have the main app this the you know the netherlands only app wouldn't get the credit from app store reviews ratings and that also uh, folds into search placement right so if, if an app has more ratings and more reviews it, it typically ranks higher in search results but if you have to have a separate binary n- not of your own will but because you're basically forced to to use this feature uh, that's a that's an impairment. So now you don't have to do that anymore. You can include the entitlements in the single app binary. Apple's basically just saying you're only allowed to actually do the stuff relating to the entitlement if you know your customer is in the Netherlands and only on devices running iOS, bloody blah, and later. So that's like a fair that's like a fair deal, I think. Now they're basically saying, look, we're not going to force you to go through all this static upfront headaches. Instead, we're going to trust you, or we're going to check that you do the right dynamic checks to make sure you're in the right country to do this. Uh, that was one of the changes they made. Another change was that uh, Apple is m- clarifying the criteria that Apple will use to evaluate uh, payment service providers. Because remember, one of the rules around using the external payment systems is that the payment system has to comply with Apple's like safety and consumer protection rules. And the Netherlands uh, body had complained that those rules were a bit ambiguous and unclear. Uh, so Apple is clarifying that. And they've also adjusted the language on that modal sheet that you have to display before a customer is booted out to an external link or an external payment system. I don't know if they've uh, made it more favorable or less favorable to <laughs> to the cause because it's still a massive, in big font, it basically says, you're about to leave the app and go to an external website. You will no longer be transacting with Apple. Any accounts or purchases made outside this app will be managed by the developer. You Features such as store payment method, subscription management, and refund requests will not be available. Apple is not responsible for the privacy or security of transactions made with the developer. So the the previous language they had there was very similar, but I think maybe it was a bit like, it kind of implied more that Apple's method was more secure than the external method. So they've tweaked it slightly, probably in response to the ACM's complaint. I don't think in the scheme of things, it's really going to make much of a difference because it's still a big scary warning that you have to click past. One change that is going to help for people wanting to do external payment systems is that Apple is reducing the number of times the sheet must be displayed. In the original uh, version of these rules, the sheet had to be shown every single time you made a purchase or every single time you even adjusted your payment information. Uh, Apple is now like reducing that down a bit so you have to see it like one every X times or something, which is a bit fairer. Um, so at least Apple seems to have made peace with the Netherlands on this. Of course... Apple also stresses that they still disagree with the ACM's original order and they are appealing it. So this whole thing's still going through the court system. It's just in the meantime, uh, the Netherlands have said you must offer this as an option. So here's the option. I highly doubt anybody, any company is actually ever going to use it. But at least uh, highly doubt any company is going to use it in the Netherlands for their own dating apps. When this kind of policy becomes global and worldwide, then you'll see some companies doing it. But it's probably not worth it just for the Netherlands market unless maybe Tinder or Match want to make an example out of it and like they do it on the just the basis that they can then use it as an example for the rest of the world to be like look we're having good success doing our external payment system let's do it in other countries hello europe sort it out for instance but in a practical sense 
doing all this extra work and support management and accounting just for one country. And remember, all this stuff still comes with the uh, 27% revenue sharing, all that bloody, you know, all that rubbish. Um, with all that, all that cost, it's probably not worth it just for one country. But at least the rules now are slightly fairer in the side of the developer that, want to do, that wants to do it. Yeah, you're required to record all your revenue outside of the app store and submit that to Apple, right? Yeah. That's, that's how they judge it on. And um, Also, if you, if you use this method, you can't so is can can you okay, okay so i guess the the rule is that if you use external payment processing you can't offer in app purchasing in the same app it's it's one or the other apple doesn't want you to mix the two in one app i guess <sighs> that, i think that's right yeah i, th- I think I, I think that's how i read it um but that's also then like a another negative to doing it in the same app binary because yeah. then you couldn't have in app purchase in the rest of the world yeah, it, it's, that is actually an issue. Yeah, I didn't think about that before just now. It's not super. Yeah. It's not super pretty. <laughs> I, I was wondering too. You know, the Netherlands have taken this head on, um, and and they've obviously made headlines from all the the fines since I think December, and they're getting policy adjustments to the degree that is published on Apple's developer website. You know, I it, you know it could be a, could be a sign for. This could be a, uh, a signal for other markets to, to try something similar because this is a very specific, you know, Dutch dating apps. But this pushback seems to have gotten Apple's attention. And and even if the result is we're going to make it tougher, more annoying, you know, even if we you know accommodate what you're requesting. Um, you know, we've had some changes like in, in Japan, there was a settlement ride and, um, you know, they've, they've got this next thing where you can have a link out, you know, but... Um, makes me think you know if th- th- this has gotten apple's attention you got a little bit of change here maybe this is going to be a signal for other markets to do something similar you know if, if you're yeah and you mentioned the japanese thing that that also released this week so they agreed it back in september and they promised at the time it would roll out in early 2022 uh literally the same day as they <laughs> as they negotiated the agreement with the dutch they also announced that the read wraps uh policy where they a, a reader app i.e something like spotify or netflix basically content consumption app that you'd want to subscribe to but none of the services actually want to offer in-app subscriptions because they want to give apple a cut uh they are now letting these this single class of apps offer a single link out to a website to manage their account and pay for access uh that was agreed in september with a japanese court and apple said they would deploy it worldwide so that has now finally actually arrived but it still has some of the same limitations the dutch order for instance when you press you only get a single external link that single link can't have parameters in the url so there's gonna be no way for the app to signal to the website that you know this is the same account they're gonna have to start from scratch in terms of login i believe also that when you click on the external link it will show you that same scary apple message about you know you're not transacting with apple anymore um but this rule clearly has people begging to use it, such as Spotify, such as Netflix, such as Amazon, Kindle, all of these companies uh, that don't offer in-app purchase today. They just have to kind of hope that a customer will find their way to their website to log in and subscribe. Now they'll be able to offer a single link Do this, inside of their application. Nothing to lose. Only the game. Exactly, nothing <laughs> to lose. And they're going to still push for more. Like Spotify is sure. going to implement this and then go back to the EU and go to the US courts and be like, look, we've done this, but we really we should be able to do it all inside the app. Apple shouldn't be able to tell us to do anything. You know, they're going to push for as much as they can get. But this is a, 
you know, a notable step in the right direction. But again, it only applies to reader apps, which is a category of application that Apple kind of arbitrarily invented on its own. But it's definitely one of the biggest categories of apps that are complaining because they don't have any way to give Apple 30% in terms of their revenue model. Uh, they're not the only companies complaining. The other big one is Epic Games. They are definitely not a reader application and they don't fall under this rule at all. So that and that uh, that's, that obviously went to court last year. That's under appeal at the moment. So the conclusions to that will still take years to roll out, but they're not going to be satisfied by this development at all because they're not a reader app, so they can't use it. But Spotify, Netflix, those kind of applications, they'll actually be able to get some use out of this. And we should start seeing apps adopt it uh, in the coming weeks even it's going to be it's going to it's going to run out fast i'm sure spotify will do it as soon as possible because they should if they want to uh be validated in everything they've been saying up to now in terms of we don't want to use in that purchase we think our own payment systems are better and customers will enjoy it more well now they have an option to somewhat do that so they're going to jump at the opportunity yep so still isn't uh the equivalent of an in-app purchase in the app but it's a little bit closer uh and uh next we've got uh, apple's annual developer conference wwdc the worldwide developer conference and um as of today uh, it's the last day of march there's nothing to report no announcement yet we are definitely still in the waiting zone yeah i, I bet it's WWDC. gonna be in april or may when they announce this thing do you, do you think april or may wow. i think april or may i was thinking before march sorry after march and before june yeah oh. I, i'm thinking that uh the further into april we get is more likely to be may but you know i'm just, I'm just going off a hunch there <laughs> What happens if June comes and it doesn't happen? <laughs> They're like, this year, we're doing it in July. <laughs> no, it's going to be the first week of June. Come on. It's just... The last time they announced uh, WWDC this late was in 2016. That's the last time they announced it in April. It's kind of crazy. Doesn't seem far away. Don't know if it means anything. Yeah. You said in Slack today that I don't feel like it's going to happen on a Thursday or a Friday because it's the end of the week. But... And I initially agreed with you, but then something clicked in my head. I was like, do you know what? I think they have announced it in uh, in the end of the week before. And sure enough, in both 2019 and 2020, they announced the date on a Thursday and a Friday, respectively. So firstly, I saw the 2020 date and I was like, that was a Friday, but that was, you know, mid-pandemic craziness. So maybe there were scheduling, you know, other scheduling pressures there. Uh, but then 2019, a perfectly normal year, and they announced the date of WWC on a Thursday. So they... At least in terms of WWC, they certainly don't seem opposed to doing end-of-the-week press releases. If it was a product, it would be Tuesday. Yeah. No. Have they announced on an April Fool's Day before, though? They have not. Yeah. That would be that would be funny. That is yeah. Apple's anniversary, though. They were founded on That is Apple's anniversary. 1976, I think. It's my anniversary as well, nine years at 9 to 5 Mac. So in the absence of Apple <laughs> officially announcing it, I'm going to lay out my current theory, okay. which is that the... The event will be all virtual in terms of developer sessions and labs and everything, but the keynote is going to have in-person media presence. They're going to invite people from the press to come to somewhere, maybe it's Apple Park, maybe it's somewhere else, and sit down and they will do a presentation to them where they announce the software, they do some demos, maybe there's some hardware too, uh, and then the rest of the week will just be virtual event like last year. Google's doing it. They have, they're have they doing some in-person presence for Google I.O., I think Apple wants to get back to in-person events as soon as they can. And a great way to start is to do press-only June event. And maybe it's only US press. Maybe it's not international. But I don't want to jinx it, but sitting here on March 31st, the global climate for COVID feels like they could pull it off. 
Uh, I mean, so you seem most skeptical. Well, you know, don't know. Uh, but there is. So, so I think if press is like a visitor part the show, then there's a bigger need for press because then you get hands-on photos, you know, and you get to maybe experience the thing. Um, with software, it's less of that unless there is a product that they're going to, you know, tease or release around WWDC. Um, but but there always are like off the record, um, yep. uh, briefings, br- yeah, briefings, briefings that it's just like it's reiterating what was in the keynote, but you can ask questions about it. Sometimes there's, there's more information about it than what could fit in the keynote. Um, you know, they, those exist. I don't think they're like, I don't think it'd make a huge difference, but especially like being virtual or in person, but um, yeah, it could be a way to test the waters at least. Uh, we'll see. Or, or my, my prediction is nothing's different at all this year. It's <laughs> no one's invited. It's all, it's all online. It's all free. Um, do you think we really can get through an entire year with no in-person event again? Mm, yes. Oof. See, I, I, if it doesn't happen in June, I still think it's going to happen in September. I think Apple's begging to do something in person again. I, I don't have any inside information on this, but just the, especially on the last event they did in the March event, and it felt more subdued and less like crazy with all the camera effects and stuff. I kind of feel like they're getting tired of it. Like that's just, that's just kind of my, my feeling of the tone, and especially with the next iPhone cycle, with the AR headset cycle, there's definitely pressure for them to have in-person demos and stuff. So, I, I, I reckon, I reckon this year we will have an in-person event. Maybe WWDC is too soon, and you're right. If they don't have hardware, it's less of a less of a need. But I'm kind of thinking they're going to have M2 Max at WWDC. So that's kind of where I'm angling this from. But we will see, hopefully, in a week or so when they actually announce it for real. A week or so. Uh, yeah, that's, that's generous. <laughs> yeah. You're so optimistic. Uh, I, I, also, I think that just, um, more than just kind of wanting it to happen, that you could probably look at um, California, you know, restrictions, you know, what is governed in California for what you can do for massive, you know, big events. And uh, well, Here's what I will say. Apple TV Plus does premieres, right, for all their shows. Apple stopped that during entire COVID. At the end of last year, they started doing again when everyone was masked. Everyone had to be masked up. The last like month or so, they've been doing multiple premieres in LA and like Hollywood and stuff, where Apple attends, Eddie Q attends, Tim Cook attends sometimes, and they had no mask requirement at all. Right. That that's that's directly related to California policy. So so that mean they they could if they're just doing it based on California's policy they could do that then, yeah. So I feel like it's possible. That's my gambit. We'll see if it we'll see if it plays out. You can you can laugh at me if I'm wrong. Happy Hour this week is also brought to you by Helix Sleep. Are you sleeping on an old mattress that you've had for decades? You, you deserve better. In fact, you might be laying right down on that mattress as you listen to this show, because I know a lot of people you listen while you go to sleep. If that's you, if you're in need of a mattress upgrade, that's where Helix comes in to help. Take the Helix sleep quiz in just two minutes and get instantly matched with a mattress that is perfect for you. Tune to your sleep preferences and body type. Helix knows that not everyone is the same. They have several different models, like super soft, medium and firm mattresses. There's even a version that is designed to keep you cool if you sleep hot. Now, I'm pretty jealous because I know Zach... You've had a Helix Sleep mattress for a while. You took the quiz and you... I know you really like it, right? Yeah, I've got the midnight uh, version. 
and I wouldn't change a thing about it. I love it. It's it's one of those things where when you travel and you come back, it's so good to be back home because of it. Um, and the quiz is super easy to do. You just, you know, it, the, the trick is, you know, you, you can't feel it until you, you know, experience it and, and you're, and you're buying it, you know, uh, online, but the quiz alleviates all of the concern there because you get to, it, it asks you the smart questions that you need to, you know, you wouldn't think to, 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 to consider. And through answering the, the, the short quiz, you're able to get a good recommendation. And for me, it was the midnight. And I, like I said, I wouldn't change a thing about it. I really love it. So if you're looking for a mattress, just take the Helix quiz, order the mattress that you're matched with, and it comes shipped to your door for free. You don't need to visit a physical store. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com slash 9to5mac, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a custom mattress to give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you can try it out for 100 nights for free. If you don't love it, they'll come back and pick it up for you. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for happy hour listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash 9to5mac now. That's spelled H-E-L-I-X-S-L-E-E-P dot com slash 9to5mac. Thanks to Helix Sleep for sponsoring the show. I may have, I want to go back a few years to a story from November 14th, 2011. And it's a story on 9to5Mac citing Digitimes. Digitimes said that we only have to wait a, a few more weeks, a few, a few months for a, a, an ultra thin notebook from Apple that is 15 inches, maybe even a 17 inch version. And um, Digitimes in 2011 says this is the 15-inch MacBook Air. Could be MacBook Pro thinner, but they think it's the MacBook Air because it's, it's you know, ultra thin, not just thinner. Um, I don't think it happened. They, they did redesign the MacBook Pro in 2012. <laughs> you don't think it happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. They, they redesigned the MacBook Pro in 2012. Maybe this is what they were they're getting at. But I don't recall that one being super thin it was a little bit thinner no. you know the one that added the hdmi port this is also when they got rid of the 17 inch configuration at all you know um which had an option for a matte screen i remember those in my apple store days there's a little, little bit of overlap there um but yeah never they never did an ultra thin notebook that's that's 15 inches they've only done pro models that are pretty thick and heavy it's i don't think of any macbook pro including the ones that were introduced around then as you know that could be called a macbook air or that thing is yeah, really not, portable yeah but by finding a 2011 story you're clearly highlighting that the idea of apple doing a 15 inch macbook air has literally been a decade plus the, <laughs> in the, the rumor mill the headline is apple is, is a report apple to ship new dream machine 15 inch macbook air in march so somebody was dreaming about it at the time i've i've certainly written and mentioned on this podcast before that to me there is a pill in a larger display notebook that is ultra thin. So take the MacBook Air. Um, don't do any of the things that make a MacBook Pro. Like have you know these days it's 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 make it big and boxy and, and and thick and have you know all the processing power that requires you know uh, bigger batteries and bigger heat you know cooling systems and and, and all the ports you have. Just take the thin MacBook Air and make it bigger. And the, and the appeal for me there is, you know, you get a bigger display, 
and bigger displays add a little bit of weight, but because it's an ultra thin compared to a pro, it's still lighter than, than what you'd get. And it's kind of the same problem that you see in the iPhone lineup where if you want a bigger screen right now, it's, it's also a heavier material with stainless steel. So you, you can't get a, I want a bigger screen that's also light. Uh, they don't do that. Maybe they're going to do that this year. Sounds like it. Um, but they haven't done that with a notebook yet with the MacBook and, and, and it's back on the table after, <laughs> uh, 10, 11 years. Still, still there. Yeah, this comes from Ross Young, who's been pretty good on display analyst stuff. He says, Apple is developing a new variant of the MacBook Air for 2023 that will feature a screen size of around 15 inches. The company is also going to increase the display of the current 13.3-inch MacBook Air to something that is slightly larger, but not like dramatically. It'd be like 13.5, 13.6. But the big news is he thinks they're going to release a MacBook Air next year. So a thin ultralight laptop that has a 15-inch display. And I feel like you'd be like the perfect customer for that. I mean, you've talked about it before. The MacBook Pro is not is kind of overspecced for what you need, apart from the fact that it has a nice big screen. And so a MacBook Air would still be very fast. It could run an M2 chip, probably. Uh, but it would have a nice big screen. It would still be thin and light. Like, yes, it would be slightly bigger and bulkier than a 13-inch. But I think there's a lot of demand for a 15-inch Air, like... I bet there's people in the Apple store, the only reason they buy a MacBook Pro is because the screen's two inches bigger, but they don't need a MacBook Pro. <laughs> like, it's just, they right now, Apple does not offer a MacBook Air form factor with the bigger screen. And if you just want a 15-inch screen for work or for university or something, do you really want to have to go up to, like, the 14-inch MacBook Pro? I mean, I, I, I guess people do it because that's the only option today, but they could be even more satisfied if there was, like, a slightly cheaper, but I mean, it'd still be way more expensive. Like, it wouldn't be nine ninety nine. I could imagine it'd be like $1,500, and you can get a $1,500 15-inch MacBook Air that's slightly higher spec than all the base model stuff. Maybe it comes with more base storage or, you know, better chip, but it has the bigger screen. It's just a nicer form factor, a higher-end MacBook Air form factor in- with 15 inches. Like, I think that'd be a very appealing product that would sell very well. I wouldn't buy it. I still buy MacBook Pros, but a lot of people out there, that'd be a laptop to buy. And I think the, the MacBook Air is Apple's most sold mac right and i think apple would love opportunities to kind of upsell people so the people that used to only ever buy the 999 MacBook Air or the 1100 macbook air the next time they go in the store they could be they could be upsold to a 15 inch version instead yeah yeah i i i've heard some commentary from this you know would it really be a macbook air if it's 15 inches i think absolutely because you compare it to the the pro and, and they've gotten thick and heavy as a feature you know you can do more with that um but absolutely an air absolutely even if it's a bigger screen especially if it's a bigger screen because you know for the first time you can say we've got a big screen and it's the lightest 15 inch backbook we've ever made you know <laughs> which would be true so go and do it um i was looking back at our coverage and in 2016 i had written about you know this is my dream macbook 15 inch macbook air and um i based that i based that on um you know, I, I found a tweet for myself from 2012 that was basically saying, like, if Apple makes a 15 inch bear, I'll buy it. So, I, so 2011 is, uh, I guess I've been dreaming of that since then as well. <laughs> <laughs> and you still, and you still into it today? Yeah, five years on. Yeah, yeah. dream big, dream big. Mm-hmm. I would like to dream that the Apple Music app gets concert information inside of it. Yeah, and this is a dream, but it's based on reality because. Last week, Apple 
Apple's app Shazam, which they bought, right? So the Shazam app for iOS, it now has features integration with the Bands in Town platform, and it will give you information about upcoming live music shows, concerts, tours for an artist. So when you scan, you know, if you if you search for the artist in the app or you you, you Shazam their music, you can also see nearby and upcoming tour dates. You can even like click through to buy them. You can get tickets right there. You can add it to your calendar. You can get alerts like when a when a when an artist is about to perform. Like all that functionality sounds great, apart from the fact that it's in the Shazam app that nobody uses, or relatively no one uses, including me. This is perfect information and perfect extra context for them to show inside of the actual Apple Music app, along with all sorts of other stuff that we've talked about endlessly before, like being able to follow an artist and actually get reliable notifications about new music, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But concert information even selling contents, concert tickets in line, you know, integration with the calendar. Put it in Apple Music, please. Like, it's cool in Shazam, but I don't use Shazam. <laughs> like, if I want to find, if I want to do the name that tune thing, I'll do it through Siri or whatever, or do that control center widget they had. I don't use the actual app. Yeah, I, I think of Shazam as, you know, what is this, what is a song? <laughs> you know, not tell me more. I, I know the song. When are they going to be, you know, touring? Um, the music app is where I want that stuff as well. So that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Uh, just just like how you can't do transitions on apple music yet on 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 iphone even though you can on android and mac seems like one of those things where for whatever reason you know they they haven't assigned it to an intern yet to work on but somehow the shazam team's got the (laughs) got the resources to do it yeah like i don't know they 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 make some weird choices i don't really understand why the shazam app still exists at all like they added it as a feature of the iPhone. Is it really a like they could keep the Android app around if they wanted to, but I think they should just take all the Shazam functionality, whatever additional features they think Shazam has that the music app doesn't, just put it in the music app on iOS and Android and get rid of the Shazam app. Like there's no need for a Shazam app to exist. It was I'm really sorry, cool. Shazam it, was, it was really cool ten years ago. Yeah, exactly. And if they want to, they could have like a Shazam branded section inside of the music app. They can still call the name that tune feature Shazamming to give it some brand value. Like they have those playlists in Apple Music now, which are like the top songs on Shazam and stuff. So they could have it, just keep it as like a sub brand of the music app rather than like a completely separate thing. Because concert information would be great in the music app, but no one's. The number of people that are going to use that data when it's just buried in Shazam is like. 1% 1% of what people would use if it was actually in the main music app. So hopefully that's that's on its way, but you never know, you never know with Apple and services stuff. They they make some weird and bizarre winding roads of choices. Happy Hour this week is also brought to you by Kanji. Kanji offers next generation Apple device management for your business, spanning Mac, iPad, iPhone, and even Apple TVs that your company is using. Kanji offers a full suite of tools to automate device setup and ongoing management of all your Apple devices in a business. Kanji makes it so easy to transform any new Mac into a computer that is ready for work with all the right apps and settings in place. And devices managed with Kanji keep themselves secure automatically. Apps are patched, macOS is updated, and security controls are enforced without manual management from administration. And with automatic remediations, Kanji can detect if an important app has been uninstalled or if a setting has been changed incorrectly, and not just alert you, but even automatically fix it, saving you time. Most MDM solutions give you the tools to help you manually achieve general security compliance, but Kanji goes one step further. Everything that you need has already been built, like scripts and settings profiles, and it's all ready to use, neatly organized, 
into templates. And with the automatic self-service app, users can easily see a curated list of apps that they can install on their own. And the self-service app can be white-labeled with your own branding, help text and categories, so it fits right in with your business needs. Once an app is installed, it's kept up to date automatically through the Kanji platform. So go to kanji.io slash happy hour for a free demo or trial. That's spelled K-A-N-D-J-I dot I-O slash happy hour. Kanji.io slash happy hour. Thanks to Kanji for sponsoring the show. All right, a couple of reports from Bloomberg to talk about this week. We've got uh, mm-hmm. uh, one is about a future subscription service that everyone has imagined for a long time, and that is the ability to just pay Apple uh, a, a, a fee of some sort monthly uh, and always have the latest product. Is, is, is that basically what this is from, from the Bloomberg reporting is in the works? Yeah, they say starting with iPhone and iPad, Potentially as soon as later this year, you'll be able to subscribe to the iPhone. Now, you can already finance basically anything from Apple, at least in the United States, using the Apple Card. And they have like the iPhone upgrade program, or they have Apple Card monthly installments. The difference between financing and a subscription is that with financing, you're paying off the purchase of a device. And so at the end of the financing period, the device is yours, right? Even with the iPhone upgrade program, you can trade it in and carry on financing something new. But if you want to, you can stop the program, don't upgrade, and you can just pay off your device and keep it. But with this subscription service, you don't actually ever keep the devices. You'd pay a monthly fee for eternity, and you'd get an iPhone, and then maybe once a year or twice, or once every two years, the iPhone is upgraded to the new model. You You send the old one back. And you carry on subscribing and, and keeping it. And if you stop subscribing, I guess the the device self-combusts. <laughs> like the device stops, deactivates, it stops working, you probably have to return it. Maybe there's some like deal you have to sign where if you don't return the physical hardware, Apple like can ding you for a penalty or something. But the idea is the actual hardware isn't yours ever. It's essentially in before the word subscription was so trendy, people would call this a lease, right? Because it's basically like leasing a car. You lease a car, the period ends, you get a choice. You can either give the send the car back, or you can pay it. You can like buy it out. Uh, it sounds like that same thing would happen here. It all comes in terms of appeal. It's all to me just based on how much are they going to charge you to subscribe to it. Like, if it's cheap, then people are going to do it. If it's expensive, then why would you do it rather than just doing a financing program? You know what I mean? Like, I, it's. It kind of it's kind of as simple as that in in my book. I don't know if you've got a different a different take on it. My take is that it's sure, and maybe this is inaccurate. Probably isn't backed up by numbers. But my first thought was, huh, this sure is coming at a time when the iPhone upgrade path is getting kind of boring. Not, you know, they mm-hmm. there's you know people say that the iPhone upgrade every year is boring. You know, year over year it's a boring upgrade. Year over year it's a boring upgrade. But obviously we've, they've changed phones. You know, the phones have changed in a big way. You know, if you look at like a five year span, um, but I and at the time, you know, I would certainly argue against. Well, this you know is boring, but there's a lot of changes even year over year. You know, especially if it's two years. But I do think you know, especially in the case of like the iPhone 13 and the iPhone 14 having the same chip because of the, the transition to having the Pro phones have a, a higher chip than than the non Pro phones. Um, that's that's literally like a boring upgrade, you know, um, and and so I, I, that that was my first thought was, you know, what if 
even even if Apple isn't worried about um you know new purchase numbers right now, that it's just one more thing to prepare for the future to not have a, a big miss in you know what you what is a big factor of revenue for Apple. You know you want to make it as easy as possible to continue to buy a new iPhone. You want to grow the base. You want to convert Android users. You want people on older iPhones to upgrade. But you also want people to be able to upgrade as, you know, if, if, if people have upgraded every single year, then let's just make a service where they can pay us indefinitely and, and it's much more convenient. You know, maybe there's some ways you can, you can make this more appealing by, you know, you're going to, you're, you're, um, because even the iPhone upgrade program requires a level of opt in each year to upgrade. You know, you, you have to arrange for that next phone to come in and you do the trade in and all that. Um, this this would be just a little bit easier it sounds like because you're you're always as long as you're you know part of this program you're always getting the latest thing and you don't even have to go through the process of like maybe pre, you know waking up to pre-order and um having yours maybe maybe back you know you know weeks later than than it would have been if you were ordering sooner if you're part of this they can they can you know set aside a certain amount to prioritize for don't do anything don't even you know do a pre-order we know you're getting the new phone We'll send it to you, send us the old thing, whatever. Um, so, so you know, that that's one thing. And the other thing is there sure are a lot of ways to buy an iPhone that isn't just paying it paying for it outright, you know. Yeah. Apple's taking every possible angle here, whether it's you know, trade in, so you don't pay the full price, or um, you know, the upgrade program. Um, different ways to finance it, whether it's just, you know, you put it on Apple Card or, or any other credit card or you do, you know, the, the pay over a certain amount of time or or you do the, you know, same as cash. There's a lot of ways to buy an iPhone now without paying the full price. And this is just one more way that they're going to do that. Would you do it? Do you like because some people have a like a psychological, or, you know, just a, a general aversion to leasing stuff because they want to own their hardware. Do, do you, Would you do? Would you be happy to? Subscribe to your iPhone and just lease it and never actually own it, or what? Steve Jobs said nobody wants to rent their music, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I, you know, you mentioned the psychological aspect of that, and um, you know, for a long time there was that for me. It was like, am, am I actually going to spend more of our lifetime for Apple Music for if a music subscription service than, than just like buying the music I like and listening to it over and over? And there is the in that you know argument. There's a discovery aspect, and there's the this ease of being able to just add and add and add as as new things come about. Um, and this. I don't know, you know. I um, I'm someone who aspires to one one year not upgrade <laughs> to the next phone, but as you know, I haven't done that yet. Um, I still aspire to do that. In, in your case, you keep a phone for a few years, and mm-hmm. you know, but I, I do kind of have a feeling that as the phones are are less and less distinct year over year, then that it, it gets easier to not prioritize, you know, buying the new phone every year. Um, you know the the, the and, and I bet they price the subscription like so. It's a decent value if you do intend on subscribe on upgrading every year. But if you if you're holding out, then you'll you'll still be worse off than if you could buy it up front or buy financing and then keep it for three years. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like if you are somebody who wants to buy every year, you'll probably save like hundred dollars or something in terms of versus taking it home and then selling it and then buying the new one and then next year taking it home and selling it and buying the new one because uh, they'll probably price it like that to get people on board uh but the most the the biggest number of people that are going to join this program are just people that walk into the app store on a daily basis and don't really care like 
you know they they want a new iphone but they're not there buying it on day one or buying it on day two you know they're just the their general customer if they see a cheaper option to buy the phone they're going to choose that one instead like buy now pay later these programs are huge and and and, and surging and apple's going to launch one <laughs> of its own for any apple pay purchase and that's why they did the financing stuff in the first place because reducing the upfront cost is a huge way for them to boost some sales and like if if they came out with an iphone subscription that was say you know, $30 a month, and every three years you got a new phone. Well, if you do 30 times three, it comes out to like 1400 But if you assume the average lifetime of a phone is about three years anyway, and people generally buy like the $1,000 or cheaper one, then Apple's making $400 on every sale. <laughs> if they can if they can make people instead subscribe to something for $30 a month where they don't actually own the phone at the end of the three years either. So like financially, it probably works out for them. As a customer like me, I'm not opposed to it, but it would basically like I have the luxury of being able to choose how I buy something in for an iPhone, and I just choose whichever is like makes the most mathematical sense and and you know financially intelligent decision. Uh, I'm not going to be like yes, I'm going to subscribe to the iPhone regardless of how much it costs. So I'll just evaluate the costs at the time and, and choose whichever is best. What about iPad? Because you're someone who hasn't updated the your iPad in a while. Oh yeah, I mean, I still, I still have the 2015 iPad Pro, and I think you, uh, I think you, like newer iPads, especially the current iPad Pro 12.9 inch, you know, appeals to you. Um, it, it's, it's definitely, I'm, I'm definitely getting close to buying a new one. Uh, the, the, the reality is, I just currently don't use an iPad at all, so I've never been like, oh, now I really want the new model, in so much that I want to buy it, and the laptop took priority, and the phone took priority, and what, what about uh, Macs? What you know, if you use your Mac? If you said you know every every three years, you, I guess it, it, it's hard to say because it, it all comes down to you know it all comes down to how much they're going to charge you, right? Yeah, yeah like because I, you know, I spent a ridiculous amount of money on this laptop, but I'm trying to keep it for five years, like I kept my old one for five years, right? And so if if their subscription rates are set up so that they're expecting you to get a replacement within two years, that's going to be wasteful to me because the Max, I love Max, I really do, but. Do you really need to buy a new one every other year? Not really. Like it, um, it, it. I mean, these, these sort of these sort of programs, I think, already exist for business customers. Like you could, you could, you know, arrange through through Apple's business team a lease on a Mac computer, you know, or and and yeah, and, and and not just like a single one, but like you know, for your for your workforce, um, lots of stuff like that exists. And so, bringing it to the, to the consumer level of just like anyone who's you know credit worthy, I suppose, is a little bit a little bit different of a ball game, um. And they'll probably do like bundles where they throw in like them content services as well. So to make the to make the equation like slightly more tilted in one's favor, it'll be like, well, you are having to pay like forty dollars a month, but you do get Apple Care included, and you do get Apple One included. You have to pay extra because you know the a lot of the stuff that you get in an Apple One subscription doesn't cost Apple money. It per you per per person, right? Like it's all fixed cost. It's not variable cost like tv plus they bought the tv shows every it doesn't matter how many people watch an apple tv plus show they they don't have to pay any more so those services are so cheap for them to give out in all sorts of packages so i'm sure so, like apple music they have to pay for every single stream so it's different but the overall apple one bundle is well equipped to being thrown in with a hardware subscription and so it would be like you can have apple one premiere and a new iphone every other year for only $45 a month or something but the you know asterisk you don't actually ever own the iPhone so you have to trade it in all the time uh, but I think that'd be compelling to a lot of people mm-hmm. like 
I, I like to think I'm quite financially intelligent and I would evaluate the available options. But most people in the world, they're walking to an Apple store. That one costs $500 to buy right now. That costs $100 to buy right now. That one costs $40 a month. This one costs $30 a month. I'll just get the $30 a month one and they won't even think twice about it. Like, that's just the reality of the world. And that's why all these companies just keep trying to find new ways to financially engineer cheaper purchasing options. And Apple is no different. They, you know, if you go back to before the iPhone XS and iPhone XR, they were much more... um prestigious i think about their pricing options and they would only show you you know the full price of the phone that ends in 99 dollars. or if you wanted it if you wanted subsidies you'd have to go to a carrier but apple was very stingent about that and they're like no we're going to show you the the full prices only we're a premium brand premium company and then the iphone 10s and iphone 10r didn't quite sell in the numbers they wanted to and then they scrambled to add you know financing and trade-ins and upgrades and all this stuff apple card and this is just the latest in in that long roadmap i think as long as it doesn't become the only way to buy something, fine. Give it an option, you know? Like, if it, if suddenly they turned around like the only way you can buy an iPhone now is to rent it, then I'd be a bit mad. But yeah, the, the, it's not going to be like that. This also strikes me as the kind of thing that um, investors will love and consumers, you know, yep. maybe will appreciate. But you're going to get, you know, it, it's always going to be cheaper that if you have the money available up front, that that's going to be the least expensive way to buy the, an Apple product. And, you know... Aside from like financing the same, you know, same as cash over a set period of months, you know, that every other way of doing this is going to cost, you know, e- even if it just means that you're going to make a purchase that you might not have made before, you know, because because there's that momentum, you know, and inertia created. So, yep. The other thing is uh, this report from Mark Herman Bloomberg about Project Breakout, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds pretty cool. It's about Apple wanting to take control of some of the the you know. The different levels of, of of financial services that are that are involved with um with, with products. So right now, Apple has like Apple Pay Cash in the U.S. and they partner with Green Bank for that. They've got a specifically like a payment processor involved. They've got um, Goldman Sachs obviously for the Apple Card again, just in the U.S. But uh, Mark says that um, for future financial services, they'd like to start without a partner. And part of that is you can make these things internationally easier because. You know, if if Green Bank or Goldman only cares about the U.S. market and Apple wants to be able to reach beyond the U.S. and they don't have to worry about having a different partner in each part of the world. Um, and and these, I think Mark kind of angles it as the 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 Apple Pay pay as you go feature in development, you know, service and development. That's the kind of thing that this would work, this would touch, not necessarily change existing partnerships, but in the future, anything new. Yeah, Apple doesn't want to have probably because they've already signed contracts with everybody else for five years or whatever so they can't just pull out of it but even stuff like in the report he knows even stuff like you know evaluating credit um disputing transactions you know they they want to just you know a you want to be able to eliminate the fees as a company that it costs you so you make more off of it um and then b you think to some level there is some amount of for for your for your brand as a company there's some risk in having a third party be the support you know for that and if if you're able to be you know, your staff is trained and your ways of handling a dispute, then you can kind of guarantee the customer service experience a bit, a bit better there. So, you know, it's one of those things where eventually Apple wants to own the whole stack and whatever they do. That's just the Apple way. And this is just one more. Even in boring way. areas like fraud analysis and credit checks. Yeah. Yeah. Project breakout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, 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 that uh, code name is a lot more interesting than I think the reality. Like That's the code name for the Mac Studio or the next <laughs> Mac Pro. <laughs> Look, all the stuff that Apple has to partner with their companies for, 
at some point it's costing them money right and that profitability if they can do it themselves they can keep the extra profit and apple is a three trillion dollar company with immense resources at some point they have so much money it makes sense for them to getting the minutia of credit checks and fraud analysis because you know everyone always says like why do you why do you contract stuff out to a third-party company it's because those companies specialize in that one area so they benefit from economies of scale but apple is so big they are the economies of scale themselves right like and so whether it's making their own tv shows whether it's you know developing the the silicon on the iphone whether it's making wireless modems whether it's credit checks at some point apple has so much resources at their disposal it becomes sensible for them to do this. If they were a much smaller company, it would make no sense at all. But right. they like when you're when when you are rich enough that you can afford to basically make a Goldman Sachs, you can save the one percent commission fee that you would be paying Goldman Sachs, right? And that one percent is billions of dollars for Apple. So mm-hmm. they're gonna do this in every different which way. It's somewhat interesting to see what order they do it in, right? Uh but it makes perfect sense for them to do this in in all facets of their business. Apart from areas where they basically can get other companies, the, the only areas where it makes sense for them not to do this is when they can like have a whole bunch of companies compete against each other for the lowest price, like commodity manufacturing of components, right? So why do they not make? Why do they not own factories? Why do they get Foxconn to do it? Because they set Foxconn a head-to-head against Pegatron and Wistron and all these other companies, Luxshare, to be like, look, if you're not going to make it cheaper for us, we'll just go to them. So then that forces them to make it cheaper. If you take on all that commodity manufacturing yourself, it, there's a whole bunch of overhead and complexity when it probably isn't cheaper for them than to just make Foxconn work for you know 1% less now that they know that Luxshare is coming on the scene, right? Uh, financial services, probably an area where Apple can like take full control. They don't have the logistics of hiring 700,000 people in China to worry about. It's just at the end of the day, a computer algorithm making decisions about lending analysis, and that will save Apple one percent on every purchase that you make with an Apple Card, for instance. So that's where the calculus is is different. Mm-hmm. Finally, this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by BetterHelp. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at BetterHelp.com/slash/MacHappyHour. Everyone gets stressed out, some more than others, but it's something that will hit us all usually in tandem with being worn down, perhaps from work, just generally tired out. And that leads to worse eating habits, worse sleep schedules, which then leads to more stress and being even more tired. It's a virtuous cycle. Like it or not, we're in a world that's always telling us to push harder and do more, with pressures to sleep less and to grind it out. But really, you need a reminder to take care of yourself and maybe try some therapy. Remember, you are your own greatest asset. So, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress levels. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and 9to5Mac Happy Hour listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash hour. That's spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash Mac Happy Hour. Betterhelp.com slash Mac Happy Hour. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. All right. Speaking of everything, let's talk about Apple TV. Baseball's coming to <laughs> Apple TV. Apple's announced for the second time it will come on April the 8th. That's when baseball begins. And um, what's new this I week? like how some websites posted that date as if it was like the news it's like they did announce this date before you know right yep hmm 
Uh, it would be so fun to just be a media critic of Apple or <laughs> tech, like tech, tech, tech coverage, you know, like, uh, not Apple itself, just the, the, the sites of covering them. Um, yeah, Apple's announced, which means this time is they've announced the schedule, like who will play. Um, I wasn't sure that they're, you know, from, from what they said before, it was so mysterious anyway, how this was going to yeah. go, how, how Friday night baseball and Apple TV was going to go. Um, kind of sounded to me like the way I thought of it, it was like, they'll, decide what games they show based on like deals made throughout the season um based on what's interesting like they'll try to get the best games as they go but mm-hmm. what is so far i think for the first 12 weeks they have a set schedule and you can probably see your favorite team play between zero and two times um that's how it is and it if you're playing so two times you seem to be really mad because <laughs> i think in america like mlb.tv is like the main service for watching this stuff and because these games are exclusive tv plus your $150 MOB.TV subscription just got slightly worse because three of the games aren't there anymore. <laughs> yep. And, and you know, sure, you can see them for free for a while, but Apple hasn't said for how long. Maybe it's just this. this- I, th- I think what's good, so they announced the first 12 weeks through June 24th. I believe their idea is that the games after June 24th are the ones that you have to subscribe to see. And so that- until June 24th, it's free, but after that, you have to pay. Yeah, that would be my guess. And in Apple's press release, uh, uh, the news of this they have a very large section about what's still to be determined, you know. <laughs> Presentation details, including additional game schedules through the regular season, broadcast teams, production enhancements, and pre- and post-game coverage will be announced at a later date. My favorite is He's- production enhancements. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> is, what will those be? I like, I like, this is posted like one week before the first game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was posted on like March 30th and the first game is Friday, April 8th. That's like 10 days later. But they don't, they can't yet tell you about the broadcast teams or how they're going to produce the show. Like, are they just scrambling and doing this all at the weekend? Because <laughs> that's like, I, I don't really care about baseball. So who's playing when? I don't really care about. The interesting thing to me is Apple TV from a sports perspective is how they're approaching the production, whether it's going to be any extra Easter eggs or I guess as they call it, production enhancements. Or just simply, like, what cameras they're going to use, what presenters they're going to use. And this press release did not tell you. So I guess next week they're going to have to do another press release, which will tell you who's going to actually be, like, presenting the show. Because these games are not shown locally or or nationally anywhere else. They're only produced and shown on TV+. And based on a MLB representative, Apple is going to have two separate squads in terms of talent on air to to commentate the games they're going to have one for the east coast and one for the west coast now again i'm not a sports expert but i believe a lot of people like local broadcasts because they have like a local talent who really knows the local team and has all the ins and outs and all the you know tricks of the trade and the special knowledge that you'd only get by being specialist to that local area uh present the local games apple's games will not be using the local talent they're going to be using one presenter for the East Coast and one presenter for the or one presenting team for the East Coast and one presenting team for the West Coast. And I'm sure they've gonna they've paid some high profile presenter or celebrity a lot of money to be that team. But I've seen a lot of criticism that people aren't gonna like the games as much because they're not gonna be able to see their local presenters actually, you know, commentate the games. So that's an issue, a potential issue. I, I still think they have 
other tech stack issues relating to sports like they can just about barely do a streaming service in terms of original video how are they going to manage all the sports stuff with all the pre and the post game like all that stuff is a huge question mark and i'm sure the first i'm sure april 8th to be a complete shambles in in one way or another so it'd be fun to watch how it, how it plays out and it will take them a while to get it sorted because they're still advertising that you can watch on the apple tv website tv.apple.com like that website is so bad it doesn't even have like a categories or a search bar. Like, I don't know how, what they're expecting to happen in the next week or so. They're going to suddenly build it out with this entirely different website. I, I just, I'm so thrilled to see what happens next Friday. Like, it, what's going to happen is probably there'll just be one box, which is like, this is the live MLB feed. And you click on the box and yeah. then it shows you the stream, which is like the most bare bones solution. But I guess that's how everything in 2 plus technically has gone, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. But we'll see. I, I, go ahead. Uh, the, the only other thing I was going to say is one thing they don't mention in this press release or the previous press release is whether the games will be able to watch after the fact. So they all talk about watching them live. But if you're on a cable, like if you're just watching these games on cable, uh, as they would have been before this year, you can use like a DVR, you can record, you can pause, you can watch it later. It's not clear to me whether Apple actually got the rights to watch the to stream vod the same games and that sounds like an obvious thing it's like why wouldn't they have the rights but mlb.tv mlb like the franchise may not have sold them to it because rights like that are very complicated and intricate and i'm hoping they do have the the vod rights because like me as a british person they, they're they're launching this in eight countries but the, the air times are like the middle of the night for me so even if i wanted to watch these baseball games there's no way I'm going to be watching oh, them live in got, the middle of the night. You got to wake up at 4 a.m. and put on your baseball cap and you know, no, get your jersey come on, and like, make a hot dog. Surely there has to be a way to watch these after the fact, right? But n- neither of these press releases say anything about watching on demand. But there, that's just something I, I noticed. There also is a value in having your your on demand catalog of games that you've streamed like years after the fact, because I think yep. you know, there's, there's in, in in all sports, but definitely in baseball and in football, there's you know the the game with the big you know where, where the action happened you know where something historic happened or there was like some surprise you know turn around so um if you know if if apple racks up enough of these over the years then they could that's another another you know part of tv plus as, as a product is you know it's, it's back catalog yeah 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 i mean even though the outcomes are determined like you, you can see what happened you know the score there's just wanting to go back and and, and see that moment again um i want to go back to 2015 and 17 for a moment um August 18th, 2015. These are 95 Mac headlines. MLB strikes out Ben's Kansas City manager from using the Apple Watch it gave him. Pretty good. Um, this used to just be like a whole category of story. And then two days later, uh, MLB clarifies Ned Yost uh, was only reminded Apple Watch must not be connected to an iPhone during games. It was fun. <laughs> um, uh, it's fun. In 2017, Arizona Diamondbacks coach fined for wearing Apple Watch in the dugout. This, like I said, it used to be a whole thing all the time. Uh, and then um, a month later, a Boston Red Sox caught using Apple Watch still signs in games against the Yankees and others. Um, so, was the MLB the one where they were using Microsoft Surface, or was that a different sport? Uh, Surface that might is probably be NFL. I think yeah, that's probably NFL because that was when everyone thought like Microsoft sponsored it with the Surface tablet, but then everyone just thought they were iPads. <laughs> half the half the half the half the um, coaches were like, "I want an iPad," or the iPad's great, even though yeah. they were literally holding. Microsoft Surface. Used to also be a maybe it still is, but um, I think when Bose was like the sponsor for maybe NFL and and players were, were sponsored by Beats and wearing Beats headphones and getting fined for that, 
What a world. <laughs> well, that's another question, yeah. by the way. MLB, lots of breaks, lots of ad breaks. Typically, what's Apple going to do in the breaks? Yeah, we'll see. Because yeah. Apple TV Plus is commercial free, so yeah. they're not going to shove ads in there. Maybe they'll just do trailers for Ted Lasso and other TV Plus shows for that time, maybe. They're not selling ads, that's for sure. Know, at least that we know mm-hmm. about. So, yep. So MLB. Uh, there's also some other TV stuff here this week. So um, Android uh, TV. This is the, the, they've the, the TV app has lost the ability to to sell you what TV shows, Anything. movies, like basically Anything. Like iTunes movie TV shows. Yeah. Yep. Why is that? Well, I you, so basically, you know, Apple's got its rules about the App Store about how you have to give its car. Well, familiar. Google yes. Play has the same rules, and Turns out that, well, I knew this, but basically, on on Fire TV, you've never been able to buy through the Fire TV TV app. It always directed you to buy on the phone and then watch it on the TV, right? Or subscribe on the phone and watch it on the TV. But for some reason, the Android TV app, you could just subscribe or buy iTunes Store content through the app. Apple would take your money and it would show you the content directly. So I assumed that Apple and Google had come to like some long term arrangement uh, where. They'd done some backroom deal. They would, you know, arrange some special rate. And Bob's your uncle. People, you know, they 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 shit the feature. Well, it turns out they didn't have a long term arrangement. They had like a what would you call it? Like a temporary or a you know a, a I'm blanking on the word, but like a a placeholder deal that they launched with, which allowed this to happen. I guess with the idea that they were going to f- bang out a proper deal. Well, they never came to terms on a proper deal. So last week, all of those, you know, buy or rent buttons on the Android TV platform just got turned to where to watch buttons, which they direct you to buy on the iPhone instead. Mm-hmm. So Shame. I guess Apple's getting some of its own medicine. Yeah, Apple's <laughs> the Spotify here. Yeah. And unfortunately, the Android TV, like if you have an Android TV, I'd say there's a decent chance you had an Android phone, right? Probably. So wanted to, yeah. yeah. So if you wanted to subscribe, to TV Plus, through Android TV, you used to be able to. Now you can't because there's no Android app for the phone. So you're kind of stuffed. You have to go to the website and sign up for Android that way. And I promise you, trying to sign up for an account on the website is one of the most painful things you've ever done in your life. You wouldn't believe how hard it is to sign up for an account at tv.apple.com and actually use it to watch something. Because most of the time, it will then say, you need to verify your account by logging in with this same Apple ID in iTunes on Windows. So there's a whole, whole big pile of pain right there, uh, which is a very common theme for the tv.apple.com website. However, there was a slight glimmer of hope this week because the tv.apple.com website actually got a new feature. It got the up next queue. I know, I know, crazy stuff, right? Incredibly revolutionary that the Apple TV Plus web app now will actually show you the shows that you've been watching and let you continue watching them in a row. Previously, hilariously, in fact, the, app, the website let you add shows to your up next queue but you couldn't see your app next queue. So you would add them, and then on another device, you, they would be there in your app next queue. But on the actual website, you couldn't see what was coming up next. You couldn't carry on with the show. You'd have to manually find it every single time, click through the navigation, and watch the next episode. They did, so at least mm-hmm. they've improved that. They did this for baseball. You know, that's where live will be up next for, for everybody. Oh, probably. That's, I mean, they'll, they'll shove it somewhere. I liked how yeah. you how you, you did this. Your storytelling, it was you know a little sad. Then it turned around and picked back up at the end. Um, let's end on on really good news for Apple TV. Coda, best picture. I'd say they did it. They got an Oscar. Haven't seen it, but 
best picture for sure you should watch it it's decent it's yeah decent. yeah yeah. They got three Oscars, in fact, all three for Coda. They got uh, Best Adapted Screenplay because Coda is actually based off a French film, uh, La Famille Belier, terrible French accent. Uh, they got Best Supporting Actor, Troy Kotzer. He's a deaf uh, male actor. I believe it's the first deaf male actor ever to win Best Supporting Actor, which is cool. And they won the top prize, the most honoured, the most like top honours of the Oscars, Best Picture, Apple won in their second year of eligibility. They were technically eligible for the last round of Oscars, but they only had, like, two films out at that point, or, like, they had The Greyhound, and that was about it, and they had, like... like, Practically, last time, they were eligible, but they didn't really have any, like, Oscar contenders. Second time around, they had this, they had Coda, which obviously they acquired from Sundance, and they beat out the entire field to win Best Picture... So not only is it Apple's first Oscar, it's also the first Oscar for a streaming service. Full stop. Yeah. Sorry, first Best Picture Oscar. They've like Netflix has won in other categories, but first Best Picture Oscar for a streaming service. Yeah, but it's, so, but it's not really Apple's. Yeah. People say it's really it's really Sundance's or or maybe maybe whoever produced it. You know, it's because that, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's like that's been if the, you want to qualify it. Online. Yeah. Yeah, I, if you I want don't to qualify that, it, but... Tim Cook did not make this film with his own bare hands and directing ability with an iPhone. It wasn't okay? shot on an iPhone. So it wasn't shot Sorry. on an iPhone. Tim Cook didn't be like, "Let's make a film about a deaf family." What they 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 found it at Sundance. They paid the most money for it. They won the bid, right? Okay, right. Like plenty of stuff. Right. Netflix has gone to the Oscars five years in a row. Sometimes with originals. Sometimes with acquired movies. Right. Every opportunity they haven't won Best Picture as much as they tried because the other the other because the funny thing is right everyone loves to hate on Apple because before <laughs> before they won an Oscar it's like all of Apple's content sucks it's terrible no one's ever going to care about it it's no, it's not quality enough as soon as they win an Oscar oh it's too easy to win an Oscar they just pay them loads of money or like they just acquired it like it's such a stu- like it's how it people works. just hate hate <laughs> on them on, on both on both on both sides of the on both sides of the coin but whatever like the fact of the matter is. Apple did it. They acquired the film. They did the they did the work in terms of like marketing the film to the voting press. They got it into nominations. It was a huge achievement. They even got it nominated in their second year of eligibility. Let alone the fact that they actually won. And now they can always tout that they have an Oscar. <laughs> like they have a Best Picture Oscar, the first streaming service ever to achieve it. Would they prefer it, or would it be even more prestigious if they could get it with a film that yes they financed from the very day was zero? Sure. Well, they've got the rest of their lives to go and do that. But they are the only company, the only streaming service to get a Best Picture Oscar with truly original content or acquired or whatever definition you want to ascribe it to. There's like you can't. It's not like you can go. Oh, they didn't really win because Netflix won with their original before. Or the Netflix won with acquired before. No, no one other streaming service has ever done it. So it's clearly an achievement for them. In the scheme of things, do awards mean anything? No, they don't. But they do help with validation. And what do like Hollywood talent want? They want awards, they want money, and they want eyeballs. And Apple has a lot of money. Uh, they have a lot of awards, including their most prestigious now in terms of best picture on their books. So if you're a filmmaker, you think, look, if I take my film to Apple TV, there's a good chance they'll be able to get me an Oscar, sure, right? Like, exactly, so that's yeah. that's that's appealing. And so you know, awards recognition tick money tick viewers eyeballs mm, working on it right so they've got two out of three but in terms of total subscribers tv plus is still small uh but i mean if you're taking two out of three i think you're doing all right like 
What do people want Apple to do before people's... Like, the thing the thing that I hate the most now about TV+, Plus, in terms of how other people receive it, is, like, even in the wake of them winning a Best Picture Oscar, like, there are, there are articles that are just like, Apple TV+, Plus is just a brand marketing exercise for the company. Like, they don't care about anything. They just want it to improve the Apple brand. It's like, come on. Like, improving the Apple brand happens when they do, like, a cool ad right or a cool new feature of the platform they're not going to spend 100 million dollars on films billions of dollars in total across films and tv month after month after month after month just to improve their brand like in fact their brand's at risk because if one of their cool shows gets cancelled everyone will be mad at them like or if they release something that's terrible people will be mad at them for that like cough cough invasion um (laughs) but like there's like TV Plus is a streaming service. They want you to pay for it. They want to make money from it. Yes, they're not making money for it right now, but they're making more money from it this year than they were last year. And they're clearly competing pretty well against everybody else. Are they the biggest streaming service in the world? No, they're not. Are they the second biggest? No, they're not. Are they the biggest? No, they're not. Are they the fourth biggest? No, they're not. Are they the fifth biggest? Possibly. And every single year, they're adding more and more content, and they're going to slowly make their way up the list. Do I expect them to ever be the biggest based on their current strategy of originals only? No. Can they be third or fourth place with 100 million plus subscribers? And obviously, right now, if you had 100 million subscribers, you'd be like third place. But what I, I'm thinking of a future where Netflix has 300 million, Disney has 200 million, HBO is like 150 million, Apple's sitting around there on 100 million, right? Like in the in the in the five year time frame, I think Apple would be perfectly happy with that. They'd have prestige. They'd have viewers, they'd have eyeballs, and if they get to 100 million at their current content spend of like five to eight billion dollars a year, they would be profitable with 100 million subscribers. So I feel like on every checkbox, they're doing just as they set out to do in 2019. And why is anybody surprised? Like, it is great that they got an Oscar so soon, and they've overcome the bias that like the Academy has towards streaming in general. And I think that's a testament to the fact that. A lot of people in Hollywood use Apple products anyway. They like Apple and they don't like Netflix. So they see Netflix as like the destroyer of their business. Um, but like, why why shouldn't Apple have any as much chance as anybody else to win an Oscar or, 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 or get good content? They're just people that come from Sony, come from different places who have been empowered with a lot of budget and a lot of money to buy high profile films. And this year they won with Coda. Next year... They might win with the Martin Scorsese film, Killers of Liar Moon. They might win with a Will Smith's film, assuming that he isn't seen as a bad person anymore because of the slap incident no idea uh, in ma- Emancipation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they'll have Napoleon from all these other people. Like, I don't know. Like, I just get so annoyed when people are like, Apple TV Plus, they're just doing it for the fun of it. Tim Cook's just having a lark. Here's some money to make like a cool marketing. Like, no, it's a real thing. They are serious about it. They have entire, they have hundreds of people employed for TV Plus. In fact, there was an article today from Business Insider that was like, Apple TV Plus is uh, on, I can't even remember. It's like, they're basically saying that they, they've they ex- they've grown so much so quickly that they need more, they need to hire more people because they're at like their limit of what they can manage in terms of content output at the, at the moment internally. And they're having problems where there aren't enough people inside of Apple's division to manage the rollouts of their new stuff. Like, I mean, ideally, they would have enough people to satisfy that. But isn't it kind of good that they have a a problem of having of being too successful too quickly versus, you know, being rubbish? Like, I don't know. Like, whatever you want, TV Plus is doing fine. People need to just, like, be quiet about it. Like, 
is not a brand marketing exercise, okay? It's a it's a streaming service. Just because it isn't going the exact same path as everybody else doesn't mean it's not a serious thing for them. They want to make money out for it. They're not right. Why are they they're not just adding sports on for a lark for free? Like they want to make the service more compelling. Like there you go. It's four ninety nine right now. At some point in the future, they're going to make the price higher when they have more content. Okay, that's called a business, not not just like a marketing exercise. Okay, I just I just got back. I was out and I was I was doing some errands for the last thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> Coda's in theaters and six hundred theaters in the U.S. starting on April the first. That's Friday. As Davis is out, uh, I can't find where to go see it. Do you know anything about this? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I guess six hundred theaters in the U.S. is not necessarily one near you. Kind of like the the, the the when the banker was in theaters, it was very limited too. Well, yeah. All right, cool. You can watch it. You can, you can incredibly watch it on the Apple TV app. I know that. I like movie theaters. Surprise. It's a cool experience. Um, yeah. Well, well, you know what? Thanks, thanks for thanks for your participation in this topic. I really appreciate that. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. That is the Happy Hour podcast for this week. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Apollo Zach A P O L L O Z A C Benjamin's on Twitter at. BZMAO, where he tweets about Apple TV. And uh, you can email us both together at happyhour at 95mac.com. And we will be back with you. Bye, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>